Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. This is your host for today, Simon Von Bromley. A few weeks ago, we headed to the wind tunnel at the Silverstone Sports Engineering Hub to find out what the best value aero upgrades are. Our aero guru for the day was Stephen Roche, the bike tailor, an expert in bike fitting, aero testing and custom builds based in London and Brighton. And if you'd like to read that feature, head to www.bikeradar.com or follow the link in the podcast description. Now, off the back of that test, I sat down for a chat with Stephen with the aim of demystifying wind tunnel testing. As well as a little bit on how we set up our own test, Stephen explains why cycling brands love to do wind tunnel tests at such high speeds, how wind tunnel results translate into the real world, and much more. So, without further ado, here is that chat. Hi Stephen, how are you doing today? Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, I'm good, good, Simon. Nice to finally meet you. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, for the listeners who don't know, I was originally supposed to do the uh, the wind tunnel test, um, but unfortunately I was ill on the day, and uh, the lovely Liam Carhill had to stand in for me, which I'm very grateful for. But um, tell us a little bit about yourself, Stephen. Now you obviously have a quite a uh, a cycling famous name, but you're not the triple crown Stephen Roche. You are Stephen Roche, the bike tailor. So tell us a little bit about yourself, and tell us a little bit about the bike tailor. Okay, well the bike tailor is basically. It designs around custom-built bikes and uh, also the, the stuff that we do, which is bike fitting, uh, the wind tunnel work, uh, and sort of high-end servicing. So we just deal with high-end clients. Uh, we work with time-sensitive clients as well. We literally travel around the world. We've got customers in New York, uh, Singapore, Thailand, uh, that we go over and see every couple of years, delivering bikes over. So. We're like a one-stop shop for the person that's looking for a custom build. Uh, yeah, we, we, we work around people in, that are time-sensitive. So if they need it there, you know, at five o'clock in the evening or five in the morning or two in the morning, we deliver, basically. Yeah, and I think part of your service is providing that kind of holistic approach to bike fit in the sense that, mm. you know, you provide wind tunnel services in addition to kind of, you know, just a standard you know bike fit for kind of comfort and performance purposes, right? Yeah, it's the fine tuning basically when we go to the tunnel. So it's like we'll do a bike fit maybe before we go to the tunnel. We'd like to do that. Uh, and then basically what will happen is we'll go to the wind tunnel and we'll fine tune it. So that's the experience of it. It's getting everything, all your eggs in a row. <laughs> 
Cool. Well, I've brought you here today, Stephen. I'm hopefully you're going to be able to sort of demystify wind tunnel testing a bit for us because I think it's a topic that, you know, obviously with cycling and racing getting ever more kind of technical and scientific, people hear a lot about and, you know, I mean, I think brands bandy claims around quite often and, you know, generates a, a certain level of scepticism. So, Hopefully, you'll sort of be able to answer some of our questions and, uh, yeah, maybe demystify it a little bit. So I'll let, do my best. Kind of, <laughs> <laughs> let's start with a kind of like an initial question. You know, it, why are like aerodynamics so important to, you know, cyclists and you know, bike racing or just kind of riding in general? Well, aerodynamics is going to help make you faster you know, in the long run, you know, over a short period of like, just if you're cycling a mile down the road, it really, I think is very insignificant. It's when you're putting it into a bigger picture. So you're going into like those 10 milers plus and everything else. Aerodynamics does help. It's about getting you from point A to point B as quick as possible. So all we're trying to do is make you more aerodynamic to go through that air faster to be able to get to point A to point B quicker. Okay. And in terms of, you know, wind tunnel testing, for example, now you helped us do a, a, a kind of group test recently of you know, good value aero upgrades. But of course, you know, these days, you know, pretty much everything related to, to, to racing is kind of tested in the wind tunnel. Now we had a very specific setup that was kind of tailored to, you know, we were trying to get results for riders riding at you know, 35 kilometers yeah. per hour, which we thought was a kind of, you know, relatively attainable speed. But one of the things we often see brands doing is um, testing at, you know, 45 kilometers per hour or even, you know, yeah. higher speeds, for example. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how do how do people choose to kind of set up wind tunnels and why why are there variable speeds for example and you know is there kind of is there any kind of industry standard for kind of wind tunnel testing for example there's no real industry speed for each uh, sort of like uh, well any settings really it's guided a lot by the rider uh, and what they're riding to with regards to uh, products uh, we tend to test try and test at two speeds it's when we went in the tunnel we had you know, a time frame uh, that we had to work towards. Hence the reason we just did one speed to start off with. Maybe when we go back in again, we'll we'll look at doing two speeds, you know, a higher speed basically for that. Um, but as we were time constrained this time, it was like, that's what we had to do really. You know, usually I do test at two speeds. Uh, it can be 45, it can be 55 as well. It all depends on the rider as well. And what would be the kind of advantages or you know or disadvantage of testing at like either a slower or a higher speed? Uh, when you go to your angle, there's going to be more sort of like wind to it, really. So it's going to be, you know, it's going to be resistance, the CDAs, and uh, the nuisance of drag as well uh, will be different. So again, I would say that we need to test it to check it. You know, it's you know these are one of the things is you can talk about it in real life, but actually until you put it through the tunnel and checked, you don't actually know. So I think, you know, one of the things that a lot of people kind of say is that because the, you know, a brand, they sort of seem to think that brands test at higher speeds because because of the power required to overcome aerodynamic drag, you know, it kind of increases at the, the cube of speed mm. that essentially it's you know, testing at a higher speed is essentially inflating the kind of, you know, the wattage claims to a kind of level that's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, to a level that's like unrealistic. Do you think that, you know, is yeah. that a kind of fair criticism? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to bracket myself in a box or a square or a circle, yeah. but 
Yeah, it can be a little bit like that. I mean, I'm a big believer doing two speeds is a good idea. Um, clothing is a different game. You know, it's there's so many variables as well. And that we forget that, uh, you know, as we were talking before about clothing, the biggest variable is the person on the bike. You know, when we're in the tunnel, that that is the biggest variable. So when you put a cyclist in there with clothing on as well, that's moving around a bit as well. You know, when we're going to get accurate data from actually testing windsuits, we'd probably use the static. Uh, well, it's a three D printed uh, model we've got that goes onto a bike because we know that that's not going to move. We can put everything on there, get everything right, get the right data. Um, I say the rider is the biggest variable there and uh, at the speeds as well because they can shift around. So, yeah, clothing is a really weird one and helmets are as well <laughs> when it comes to that. And, and is it kind of fair to say that, you know, especially with helmets and, and clothing and things like that, is it, is it true that they are kind of like you know, optimised for higher speeds, for example, uh, and then, you know, yeah. they might not perform, but, you know, certain fabrics or, you know, shapes might not perform so well at a slower speed, 35 kilometers per hour, but might perform better at higher speeds. Yes, you're right there. That's what we found over the last, like, 12 years of being in the tunnel, that actually they sometimes work out faster at the higher speeds. So the CDAs will drop, the drag will drop as well. You know, it's, uh, it's, kind, of, it's kind of interesting then, isn't it? Because obviously we have all of these all of these parameters. Is it then just a case of, you know, bike brands designing just just for pro for pro riders or you know that's a that's an interesting one because i think they don't just you know the pro riders have some input in how the bike is designed of you know they'll have a designer that designs the bike and then maybe they'll have some riders that put some input into it uh it depends how far which brand it is and where they want to go and how big the brand is um but yeah they yeah, it's as I've always said, we'll go back, keep on going back to is that rider who's on the bike is the biggest variable. Where then it's fine tuning everything else. So it's like, what's the best bike for you, uh, aerodynamic wise? Okay. Then it's finding what's the best wheels to go onto that bike. So we all know there's tons of different carbon wheels out there, there's helmets, clothing, everything else. But it's about finding the right combination of all those variables to create the best possible you know set up for you the customer you know um you know it's bike it's clothing it's helmet it's shoes it's you know it's whether we use overshoes and stuff like that so it's trying to fine tune it in the time we have someone in there or you know to find out what's the best like with the the feature we went through and we started off at the worst and we worked all the way through to getting it better and better and better and better so it's the same principle. It's just finding the right combination for the bike and, well, right combination for the rider to find the right bike that suits their body shape because that's the other thing as well. It's sort of like it has each bike is designed differently. We, we know in that, terms of, sorry, do you mean in terms of fit or in terms of, you know, like the frame shapes work differently with different people? Yeah, ge geo and everything else. Because, I mean, I mean, look at what we, what's happened over the last couple of years. I mean, uh, look at the Lotus bike uh, that was designed for the Olympics with the stays. Yeah. How, how have they widened it? Why are they widened it? Well, they're widening it because they're taking the variables of the rider's body, you know, the legs, the arms, everything else, and they're bringing everything all in line now. So in the rear stays, so you're running in one instead of bringing them further in and then the rider's legs are further out, that's going to be another point of air hitting it where you've got something sort of like deflecting a bit of the air to start off with. 
So, and you've, I think, specialised in it, didn't they, as well? On this so their, 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 tri, their tri, the triathlon version of their shiv bike has yeah. a kind of, yeah, really wide fork. I, th- yeah. I think the seat stays are, are kind of dropped really, really far. Yeah. They're very short seat stays, which yeah. wouldn't be legal in a kind of UCI bike. But no. yeah, the, the, the front end of that bike is, yeah, very similar, yeah. as you say. So if you look at that, that's going to, you know, so you're going to be cutting through the air faster, so like different bikes, you know, and it was nice to see that at the Olympics was it's you look at it and go, actually, that's actually a clever idea. You know what they've thought about and they've gone away with Lotus and Hope and they've designed this beautiful bike that works. The same thing with the brands, though. It's sort of like that's again, we're talking that sort of like custom and that's the mainstream. So you've got your your Trex, your Specialized, all your other brands. And then you've got this one little thing turfing out a very custom high end you know, make it enough so that <laughs> they can use it, of course, and it's viable and be able to sell it as well. Um, but yeah, the, I don't know whether the mainstream mainstream brands should take a look at some of the small brands and go, well, actually, maybe this does work. You know, maybe we can accompany this into our designs and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think that was one of the one of the. I don't know if it's an issue, for example, you know, but a lot of people with the Hope HBT. You know, and the, and the kind of as you say, the Lotus Fork. Like, mm. it, you know, would that if they made a road bike of that, would it sell? Right? I'm not. <laughs> I'm not exactly. sure. I think a lot of people might think it'd be too heavy. I think so as well. You know, I do think it would be too heavy. But is it aerodynamic? Yes, it is aerodynamic. So <laughs> that's the thing, isn't it? Where's what we're talking about? Is aero? It's sort of like it's it's not probably cost effective. It's but again, it works. And I think with you know specifically with that bike, I think one thing that you know having talked to a, a you know a couple of you know experts in in aerodynamics is that they think it's optimized for quite uh, low yaw angles because obviously as the wind kind of comes round, it's going to start hitting the you know the, the side area of, yeah. of the fork and the seat stays, and, and then maybe the the effect won't work as well. Um, you know wh- why is it important? to kind of test at a range of your angles and do different riders experience different your angles? Okay, so uh, your angles. Uh, so in reality to being out on the roads, so we know that you're never cycling at a zero. So you're never cy- really cycling just all the time with a full-on headwind. But as soon as you change direction and go in a different direction, the wind's going to change direction. So with regards to your, we always sort of like do a base which is zero, and do a five and do a 10. Um, we're going to start to uh, equate a seven and a half in there as well soon. Because that's what we usually do. We base it on a ra- an average of seven and a half yaw, basically. So we collate all that together and, f- and get that information. So on average, you ride on the road is around about seven and a half yaw is average-ish, okay? So that's just a, <laughs> a big box yeah. there, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before people come back, oh, no, it should be I this, know, it yeah, should be change, that. It changes moment to moment. Moment, but, moment to moment, basically. Yeah. But on an average, we try to do it like that. Uh, and then what we do is we'll probably do, if we had enough time, we'd do a second run at higher speed and we still do the yours. Um, but tasting at your, that gives you a reality of what it's going to be like on the road. So by going to those yours, you get the effects of where the wind will be going onto the bike and onto the body's person. So when the table turns, it tilts round to a yaw, to say the right, which we go usually. You can go round to the left on yaw as well, but we tend to just go one way if we've got a time period when we're testing. If we were going to do a longer period, we'd probably say, hey, let's encompass doing both sides. Let's do this, let's do that. Um, 
it's all down to time because we could spend a day in the two days in the tunnel doing what we did if we really wanted to go even deeper and deeper into it but um time constraints really and you know why why do you kind of why is it five and ten and an average of seven and a half for example because i think often you know like wheel brands for example love to test out at you know super high yours of like 20 degrees or something and i think you know anyone who's kind of looked at you know, super deep aero wheels or like even like wind tunnel charts for a disc wheel, for example, will have seen like, oh, look, you know, you get out to 15 degrees, 20 degrees of yaw and this disc wheel is negative drag. Like this must be so fast, right? But like, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? When are you, can honestly tell me you're, uh, anyone's at 15 degrees your angle out on the road? I can't, don't think that's, I don't think it very rarely happens basically. So, you know, we wouldn't test that. That's not real life, basically. We have to look at the real life situation. Okay. <laughs> so, Sorry. But, you know, so, well, no, it's fine by me. I don't make wheels. But, like, it, yeah, so is it kind of, I guess, like, you know, I guess in negative drag, they're essentially saying it's a tailwind, right? Mm, I don't say so. A kind of cross like tailwind. Cross tailwind-ish. Ish. Ish. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so possible, but maybe not regular. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, how long is that going to last for? You know, yeah. that's, that, that's the you're other thing. Turn, uh, as it, you say, you're going to turn a corner. Exactly, you're going to turn a corner and then it's going to be like, it's gone. So, I mean, this is this is the weird thing, though, with real-life testing. I mean, we've I'll touch on it quickly. We've got all these... Uh, companies coming out doing uh, virtual road stuff in some respects and they are some of them are really good you know and you know one of them I've, I've talked to for the last oh I've been talking to Body Rocket for oh god Eric for probably about uh, eight ten years he's based down in Brighton and he's finally getting it together there and it's like hats off to them you know because that's going to give you real life you know real life testing and what we want to do you know, but, you know, it's going to be around about £2,000 for a system. But, and that will only fit one bike, you know. So it'll be designed to fit that bike, from what I understand. If there's a system they bring out that just clips onto all the bikes, hallelujah. Because, <laughs> no joke, I'll buy one for my shop and I'll, I'll do testing as well as doing wind tunnel stuff as well. I'll add it part of my package. You know, it's like another service that we can give to customers. Some, of the, some people want the wind tunnel. Some people you know, are thinking about it and it's maybe a little bit out of their budget. So when this type of software comes around and, you know, real life outside testing comes around in that respect, I think there's going to be a big increase in sort of that side of it. So the wind tunnel will never die. It'll always be there. But all these other little things coming out are really cool. You know, it's going to be yeah. some good stuff coming out. Yeah, I really agree. And obviously, you know, we've seen in the past couple of years, we've seen like the Notio Connect, for example. Obviously, yes. you mentioned Body Rocket there, who have been, you know, kind of refining their product ahead of, you know, a release at some point. I know Aero Sensor um, are working on something. There's, you know, the PowerPod's been around for a while. Yeah. I think, you know, one, one of the challenges that these companies seem to have is kind of accounting for the kind of, you know, other things in the system, like rolling resistance, drivetrain losses and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> And obviously the kind of messiness of the the real world, right? I suppose the advantage mm. of the wind tunnel in comparison is that it's a really controlled environment, whereas the real world is really messy. Um, and yeah, like you said, like I, I like like you know, you'd love to have something that worked for your business. I mean, we would love to have a kind of sensor that I just clipped on a bike and yeah. I went out and it told me, oh, this bike is, you know, this aero. I, I, do you think oh. that's going to be a reality? Because I'm not sure these are going to, you know, a few people have said, oh, they're going to be like power meters. Every bike will have one. I'm just, <laughs> but I kind of can't quite see it. Well, they, they've got, 
was it their prices? I think it was just under two grand, wasn't it, for a system? But if they could get it so it's, I mean, if they could get it so it's a system that could clip onto any bike, that's cool. You know, and I respect that. You know, and you know, and I've always said that to Eric. It's like you got, whatever you do, you got to create it so it's like you can have it to bolt onto any bike. So that if I sold my bike, I didn't have to buy a new system. You know, and that's probably where you're thinking is like, well, well how, how is it going to? You know, how is it going to work? It's not going to come with every bike. I don't think that will happen. I think high-end bikes will come with power meters at some stage. They're starting to on some of them. Um, and I think that's you'll see that fold over. The aero stuff, I, I mean, they've been developing that for quite some time, you know, all the ones I know of. And, you know, Body Rocket's got some good stuff. The other guys have as well. Um, and I think it's, you know... There's room for everybody, if you know what I mean. You know, it's you know, it's a sterile, yeah. it's a sterile environment in the wind tunnel, and it's a non-sterile environment outside. So I get what everybody's saying. Well, you know, doing the real life thing, going out and doing it, and you know, doing the test in the tunnel. Well, maybe there's one way of combining all of them, if you know what I mean, and getting a, a you know using that and then double checking it virtually if you know what i mean out on the road so how does it compare to the how does one of their te- one of these products test whether it's one of the other softwares test to the tunnel has anybody done that yet properly again we don't know <laughs> we, we get told stuff don't we because brands are doing it themselves but has anybody actually physically tested that, is it how accurate it is to a tunnel you know you know because that would be a good test because it's supposed to, all these systems are supposed to be super sensitive. Surely it should not work well in a tunnel considering it's sterile. Surely yeah, I think it's a weird one, isn't thing, it? Yeah, it is a weird one. I think the things that I've heard are sort of like, like the Notio, for example, I've heard a few people say that they've been able to repeatedly, you know, kind of with a kind of good level of accuracy, use it for like A B testing, for example, yeah. where you kind of input a known, uh, quantity for you know rolling resistance and drivetrain mm. losses or whatever and then you know you can kind of like by process of elimination the thing from a to b you can tell if a or b is faster or slower or whatever but i think in terms of providing a kind of a genuine cda figure like a, like a wind tunnel can mm. i'm just not sure if we're gonna if if that I, I it seems like i just don't know if we can get there because yeah. i don't know how you deal with the issues of as i say like rolling resistance drivetrain losses you know mm. it'd be interesting it'd be really interesting to know and i mean it's yeah i mean i'm sure they've got it figured out because they seem to they seem to be going from strength to strength all these ones and it'd be in, i've said i'm really interested because i've seen this for 10 years I've seen the progress of all this going on and it's it's interesting. Everyone's like, oh, wind tunnels are dead. Wind tunnels are dead. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, they are. I mean, when I first started doing wind tunnel testing, the price was ridiculous. You know, I'm, I worked out of Southamptons. I uh, used, we had a rig in there, first of all, that was static, uh, that had no yaw to it. It had no adjustment. It was the one that Chris Hoy used for the Olympics, funny enough. And then what we did was we actually designed our own rig to go in there that had a your angle uh, and also had adjustment to fit different bikes into quite quickly. Um, so, you know, we started off with, you know, not even doing your, <laughs> you know, the progression <laughs> of it like 11, 12 years ago. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, there's the progression of everything is just gone you know, more and more and more than seeing all these things come up and like, you know, how accurate are they? I mean, I'd love to, you know, 
see how accurate they are. I mean, I think it's another area. I think the wind tunnels will always be there. I think they'll always be testing in there as well. Yeah, totally. And I think if you look at other sports, uh, you know, such as Formula One, for example, mm. you know, obviously they still, you know, they're still heavily in on wind tunnel stuff, right? Yeah. They have their CFD or the compute, or computational yep. fluid dynamics. They also, you know, we see if anyone's watching the Formula One, you know, we would have seen the kind of preseason testing. They would have been out yep. with all their kind of sensor arrays on their car. So presumably they can make the kind of, you know, on car sensors yes. work. So if they can make it work, then hopefully someone in cycling can make it work too. Well, this is the hope. (laughs) And considering some of these people have sort of like been working with Formula One teams and stuff like that, it should really, yeah, let's see what happens in the next year or so. Obviously, you know, you, you, you could kind of mention the cost of something like Body Rocket. You know, they're aiming for like, you know, two grand or something like that. And I know yeah. the Notio is maybe like sort of 600 quid. So these yeah. things seem quite expensive. But I think like, you know, a bit like power meters, power meters started out very expensive mm. and maybe maybe prices will come down. Um, have Has pricing for kind of, you know, wind tunnel testing come down in, in the last kind of 10 years? Oh, Presumably so. yeah. Oh, ridiculous. So when we started off uh, working at uh, Southampton, and that was like, oh God, that was in 2011. Uh, our retail price was £600. Uh, so, sorry, £650 for an hour session that we charged. Our price has come down by about £200. So we've managed to actually reduce our prices down. So so we started off in a very, uh, I mean... And adjusted good... for inflation, that's probably <laughs> even better, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> at the moment. Um, and... Uh, what happened was uh, it was it's very good tunnel the Southampton, but the Boardman one got the Boardman bike one got built, and uh, we got invited up to be able to use it. And because it was a lot higher tech uh, than the Southampton one, it was automated. The your angle, uh, it was brand new. The other one was like you know 40 50 years old it'd been donated to them they'd done a lot of work on it uh, but it was still basically the old you know it was it was a very old tunnel but it was good for what i needed to start off with it was perfect uh so we went to the Bournemouth one um we got invited to go to silverstone after being at Bournemouth for about i think it was six months uh and then we went over to their one uh because they actually have uh the company that built the tunnel on site so if there's any technical issues uh we can get an engineer in straight away where before we couldn't really so yeah we moved over to the silson and that's when the pricing started to come down uh because it was a more modern tunnel uh, it's more efficient uh which means the cost can come down so yeah a win-win situation for the customer and myself you know, and, and I guess obviously that is, you know, in absolute terms, uh, quite a lot of money. But I think one of the, the kind of key lessons from the, the, the kind of the wind tunnel test that you, know, you recently did with us was that like body position is is the major, major problem. And, you know, you've yeah. kind of already said it, that the person on the bike is, is the major issue, right? Yeah. Whether in just in terms of testing accuracy, but also mm. in terms of drag. So, you know, in terms of the, the cost of getting a wind tunnel, say bike fit with you, for example, versus... You know, someone's thinking about spending one thousand pounds, fifteen hundred pounds, you know, two grand on a new set of like wheels, for example. Mm. You know, what do you think is going to offer kind of you know better performance gains and better value, like the wind tunnel test or the kind of you know the set of fancy wheels? I'm always going to say fitting. So uh, the fitting comes part of the wind tunnel in some respects because that's what we're doing. We're fitting you really. We're doing an advanced fitting. We're fine tuning what you're already starting with. So, you know. I'd say fitting and then tunnel. So 
It's the fit is important. So we try, if we can do, is to get you in before uh, to do a fit, or we see you in. We have a lab basically in Silverstone that we can use, which has a full bike fitting studio in there. So we can go in there first of all. Uh, we can do an hour fit. We can find you, get that sorted out, then fine tune in the tunnel really. So I would say one of the best values is get a bike fit done start off with a then tunnel time I'd say so don't just rush in and go and say oh well, I, would have, I want tunnel time now well we could go in and I look and say well actually we've got we just spent an hour sorting out your bike fit before we even start fine-tuning your bike fit so I'll always say to someone's like maybe you don't need to we need to do the fit first then go into the tunnel after that and would you say that um you know aerodynamic bike fits or wind tunnel testing time is this kind of thing like only relevant to 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 say faster riders for example you know if i'm a kind of amateur time trialist of you know relatively little talent which you know (laughs) some might say i am uh you know is it is it kind of worth me you know obviously you can everyone can say well you should just train harder and push the pedals harder but is it is it kind of worth a slower rider still getting a wind tunnel fit is that something that's worth spending money on it's whether they think it's worth spending money on sure Sure, but in some respects, you know, are they, you know, is it possible for kind of slower riders to still see kind of like oh, you know, big, big yeah. time gains, for example? Well, okay, say they're in the in the position is completely wrong, and say as we started off on that first position, we had Liam in, you know, he was up on the, the hoods all raised up, you know, and sort of like not in a racing position, and then suddenly we started dropping, the body position dropped, and suddenly everything started to drop, and there was a big old drop from putting him from a, a sitting up position to onto the tri bars you know there was a massive drop in you know the cda and drag there so in in terms of you know bike fit whether it's for a a road bike rider or a a time trial rider or something like that you know if if we're thinking of doing this say before a kind of wind tunnel test what kind of things would you be kind of looking at primarily to get a rider ready did you say sorry yeah so to get a rider kind of ready to to maximize it yeah, because I think yeah. one thing, you know, for example, like a kind of performance conscious rider might have is that they're going to go get a bike fit and the person's just going to raise their handlebars up, you know, lower their saddle and just put them in a kind of more comfortable position, for example. But if we're going to go into a wind tunnel and then, you know, optimise position, I presume that's not what you're going to do. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so what we'd probably do is we'd get them in ourselves. If we're going to go to the tunnel and we're having someone in the tunnel, I probably would ask them to come and see me and not see another bike fitter so that it's my eye on it and not someone else's eye so that I can keep an eye on what's going on. Uh, you know, I would always say fit over anything else, then tunnel afterwards. You know, it's it, that is the key recipe is getting yourself set up on the bike right. You know, and uh, even with pros, you know, the fit is the most important thing for them because they're in the saddle 24-7, aren't they? Literally, you know, they're racing sometimes six, seven hours, isn't it? You know, sometimes yeah, longer. Yeah, be, and, yeah, yeah obviously can... Milan San Remo is coming up. Yeah, <laughs> 300 yeah. kilometres of, yeah. Yeah, up and down. But it's sort of like you've got to look at, is I look at it as a balancing point between the bikes. You've got three contact points. You've got your feet, saddle, bars. Those are the points that your body is basically, you know, touching, you know, really. That's, you know, your your feet are clipped in, you're on the saddle and you're on the bars. So you've got to get all those areas just set up properly and that will affect uh, also the body comes into that as well. So flexibility, we're talking about this, you know, the amateur rider coming in, yeah? 
So we know that an amateur rider doesn't do what a pro rider does. A pro rider sees a physio, sees a masseuse probably once a week or maybe even once a day if they're on a pro team, you know, and they've got a dietitian, they've got all these things there. So the the Joe Broggs, the amateur down the road, is a completely different variable. So I'm always with the holistic side of bike fit, physio, do sort of like some type of yoga or Pilates, conditioning work, stretching. You know, again, does that person, you know, who does his local rides, does he actually bother stretching when he comes back from doing his ride? Now, I guarantee you, we're just seeing you smoking there, that even yourself, you don't no, come back don't. and do stretching. I barely have the time to ride my bike these days, let alone come exactly. home and stretch after it. Exactly. <laughs> but this is the key thing that really frustrates me as a bike fitter and aerodynamicist is the fact that people always want you to pull out, you know, go, make me faster, make me this. It's like, well, we do this, but there's got to be some work put in by you. And it's not just going out and doing 200 miles every couple of days. It's actually about maintaining your body. You are the engine on the bike. You know, if you don't maintain that engine, that engine is going to fail at some point. You know, it's not going to, it's going to go, oh, we're not enjoying that. It's sort of like, but if you do the stretching and everything else, and I mean, prime example, this morning, uh, I see a sports masseuse lady once a week uh, for my legs uh, and my back. And I had a magnesium bath this morning. Okay, this is a little trick that people should know about and they don't know about. Magnesium flake bath. I had my deep tissue massage. Didn't feel anything really today. Now, if I didn't have that, I would have been in pain. You know, because that's what a sports massage is. It's getting, it's working the whole body. It's cleansing. It's like flushing you. It's clearing all those knots and everything else because those knots stop some blood flow. What does blood flow do? It helps feed the muscles. Yeah, I, I kind of know what you mean. It's that it's those other things that are, you know, I think I, I think obviously, you know, and I and I'm guilty of this too. You know, I work for a bike tech website, so I think we're always looking for that kind of like those <laughs> that easy, easy way, fix, to, the easy fix, yeah, <laughs> the easy fix, right? The kind of the A to B is like, well, I could just be, you know, obviously committing to a, you know, a long term training plan, going to bed early every night, <laughs> eating <laughs> eating healthy, you know, all yeah. all of that stuff. Like I suppose we all know it. But, you know, doing it is another thing, right? Yeah, exactly. And, it, you know, I'm, I'm a big one for it as well. Like, I haven't been to yoga this week, hence the reason my lower back's hurting. But when I do yoga, uh, I do a hot Bikram one and I do two a week. And, like, after about three weeks, I don't have any pain in my back. You know, if I carry on doing that, my whole body is sorted out from the injuries I have because I didn't look after them when I was younger. So I could have looked after them when younger, but I didn't. Because again, like you're just saying here now is, well, I haven't got time, I've got to do that. And, you know, but now I'm coming up to 50, I'm like, oh, I wish I'd done a little bit more maintenance when I had injuries from cycling. You know, I looked after myself a little bit better and looked at the maintenance side, not just going out and smashing out 100 miles and just coming home and putting the bike in the garage and going, oh yeah, I'm done now. You know, a cup of tea, a bit of food and in the shower. And then waking up in the morning going, oh, I feel a bit stiff. You know, legs feel a bit battered. But you could have had a magnesium bath. You could, <laughs> you could, have, you could have had some, you've done some foam rolling, some stretching in front of the TV. You know, what's, you know, yeah, okay, you may, some people may have kids crawling all over them or whatever when they're trying to do it. But you need to do five, ten minutes, just a little bit. Just put, anything's better than nothing, if you know what I mean. Sure. 
where do you see kind of wind tunnel testing in the future then? I know we've already talked about it kind of, you know, some people you know, are saying like the wind tunnel is dead or whatever, but mm. do you think it's going to become kind of more accessible and a kind of more normal thing for people to do? Or, or have we kind of you know, reached a kind of, a kind of plateau with this sort of thing and it's going to be kind of, you know, on bike sensors that are going to be the next big thing or things like that? I think there's room for both of them in the market. I think definitely. Um, which is good because it's it's lovely to have other things out there like this to be able to go to. I mean, we've been looking for something to have in the studio. You know, we've been looking, okay, we've looked at a couple of other systems. I think BioRace, I think we've looked at uh, VeoFit, I think it is a VeoFit as well, which has actually just been actually bought out by someone in the States, uh, Porrick from Psychologic. Uh, help set up all Trek systems. He's actually one of the guys that trained me, originally trained me uh, over in the States, and he's literally just bought that because that's got a 3D uh, fitting system in it at the moment uh, for 3D scanning as well, and they've got their own virtual sort of like wind tunnel simulation they can do as well, which is pretty accurate, to be totally honest. And that does your CDA and drag as well. So, again, you've got studio ones as well, as well as outside ones. So <laughs> you've got all these different you know things to play around with but it's sort of like yes the wind tunnel would probably be the i would say the most accurate the others are accurate but i'd say if you want a, a clinically done test the tunnel is where you go you know if you want to know that's what that is in the tunnel yes some when you go to real life it may change a little bit we know there's variables um but you know the same thing is when you've got the rolling thing uh, on the other ones that you've said already. Yeah. I don't think it's dead. I think it's always going to be here. Uh, there's always going to be people wanting to test in the tunnel. Okay, that's reassuring. <laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay, well, I think that's uh, that's been a really interesting chat. So thanks very much, Stephen. Thanks very much no. for your time. No, my pleasure. It's uh, good to work with you guys. And if the listeners would like to learn more about you, where can they find you? Well, they can find us on Instagram um, under the bike underscore Taylor, uh, or you can find us on our website basically at uh, uh, biketaylor.com. Great. And if you'd like to uh, read the article that we've referenced in this podcast, then you can obviously go to www.bikeradar.com and find that there. As always, if you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at bikeradar.com or leave a comment on one of our articles and we will get back to you. But until next time, thank you very much for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 